0: The Low Post is brought to you by Goodyear, discovering the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. The conference finals are heating up, so don't forget to follow the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst and the Low Pod with Adrian Wojnarowski wherever you get your pods. Plus, The Ultimate Fighter is back. The reality show that brings top MMA prospects together under one roof to compete for a UFC contract is on ESPN+. Featherweight champ Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega coach men's bantamweights and middleweights who have put their lives on hold for the chance to pursue their UFC dreams. Stream new episodes every Tuesday only on ESPN+. Sign up now at com slash UFC.
1: And now, the Low Post.
0: Welcome to... The Low Post podcast on a Monday morning where the second round is over and it went out with a bang or a whimper or a pass to Matisse Thybul, depending on your perspective. It began this, this raucous weekend with the LA Clippers down 25 in the third quarter, roaring back without Kawhi Leonard to eliminate the number one seeded Utah Jazz. Not a great look for the Jazz. And it ended with... Something happening to Ben Simmons for what feels like the 20th consecutive playoff game and the Atlanta Hawks getting their third road win of the series behind Red Velvet, the Ginger Mamba, Kevin Herter, and some late heroics from Trey Young. Goodbye, Philly, Atlanta-Milwaukee Conference Finals. And in between, an epic Game 7 between the Milwaukee Bucks and what was left of the Brooklyn Nets that came down to a toe and at overtime. And now there are some tough offseason questions to face for some of these teams. And to help us do that, the best in the business at doing that, Mr. Robert Marks. How are you, sir?
2: Hello, Zach. How are you? You know what approved? We don't need the Lakers in the playoffs. We don't need big market. We can have Phoenix and Clippers and, well, the Clippers are a big market, but Milwaukees of the world to have actually good basketball. And it was
0: enjoyable. It was uh, it was quite a weekend. And I, let let's let's today we're gonna do off season outlooks with with you because that's I think the first jumping off point. We're we gonna have plenty of time to talk conference finals. Kevin Pelton's coming out to do that. Let's start with Philly. I said before the playoffs that anything short of the conference finals was a catastrophe for the Sixers. And this is a catastrophe for the Sixers. I, I know that Joel Embiid is playing through a meniscus injury. He, he looked mostly good for this series. Uh, the 16 turnovers combined in game six and seven were ugly. He wore down at a bunch of second halves, including the offer he took in the second half of game four when Philly could have put a stranglehold onto the series and did not uh, in Atlanta. And, um, and I you know, the Hawks are good. We They've proven that. They've proven that they're maybe even better than good. They're just a really good team, and they're doing this without DeAndre Hunter, without Cam Reddish and and they deserve huge credit for that. But the Sixers were the number one seed, and the number one seed in the East was the most valuable real estate in all of playoff seeding this year because it, it, had, it ended up with this road where you didn't have to face the Nets or the Bucks until the conference finals. And Philly could not get there despite home court advantage, despite a 2-1 lead, despite big leads in every game. And we have now arrived, I think, at something very close to the point of no return in the Ben Simmons-Joel Embiid pairing because... This is three playoffs in a row where Ben Simmons' game, you know, it started in 2018 against Boston where he just wasn't as good as he was in the regular season. That Ben Simmons, 2018 playoff Ben Simmons, is like a juggernaut compared to 2021 playoff Ben Simmons. 2019 is when the whole dunker spot thing started to become uh, part of the story when they had Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris, and all of a sudden you notice, like, is Ben Ben still the the point – Point guard? If if he's not, is he just in the way? Well, well, that's weird. And, and then you'd have a game where you got into transition and things look great and all of this. And this was the Nadir. This is the this is the valley. This is as low as it gets. Tom haberstroh was the first to tweet it out. Three field goal attempts in the fourth quarter in the entire series. Here are players who had more field goal attempts in the fourth quarter than Ben Simmons for the Philadelphia 76ers. Ready, Bobby? Yep. Let's go. Dwight Howard. Three of six in fourth quarters. Double Ben Simmons field goal attempts. Matisse Steibel, two of seven. George Hill. Remember George Hill existed? Like, even when he was playing, you had to remind yourself, oh, that's George Hill, the guy just there. That's George Hill. Seven. Tyrese Maxey, eight. Furkan Korkmaz, five of nine, the Corkster Triple Ben Simmons field goal attempts. Danny Green played one game in the whole series and had two field goal attempts in the fourth quarter. This was a an absolute disaster unfolding on national television. This is Ricky and Keel in basketball and I just don't even know we can sit here and talk about Ben Simmons traits. Uh, you know, it just it just didn't work. It hasn't worked and this is a huge disappointment for Philly and there's just no way around it.
2: Yeah, I felt like it was an out of body experience, right? Probably for us at home and for him himself. Like like who is this player? Because there was a pattern on the offensive end where pass ahead, and then basically he went to the he went to like went to the corner, like that. Like that was it. Like it was we got to a point where it was like four on five on the offensive end, and the uh, the end of the game, the wide open probably would have been a dunk. Symbolized. There's no probably. The whole, it would have been a dunk. It, it symbolized. The series. And Joel, even after the game, said, like, that was probably the turning point because we gave up two and, and Tybalt split the free throws. And you're right. I mean, we could sit here and talk about Ben and you know, armchair quarterback. The guy's got $147 million left. Like, that's a big, that's a big number for a non-offensive player here, but we are probably at a point of a crossroads with this roster that we've tried to, you know, we've tried to give it the benefit of doubt after losing to um, Toronto after losing um, last year in the first round. And Daryl Morey has a, had a full year to evaluate now. Yes. Great best record in the Eastern conference during the regular season. But as you said, an ultimate failure when it comes to the playoffs, game 5 the lead we talked about defensively game 6 right your bench got you in Tyrese Maxey got you back in that game and then I don't think happened? they
0: win the, I don't think they win that game if Ben Simmons doesn't get into foul trouble I think they lose game 6 if Ben Simmons plays 35 minutes that's how bad it was I I I actually I was sitting there watching it with a buddy of mine because I can watch game seven almost like a normal person. I don't have to take notes and all that. There's no game eight. And I, first of all, in the first quarter, I said, they're the Phillies, the Sixers are going to lose the game. It just felt like a loss right from the beginning. And then, and then I, I just like, I, I looked at it. Like, are they going to, are they just going to bench him? Like, are they going to play Tobias at the four with a bunch of guards? And, and that's it. I was surprised. they. I was surprised he played as much as he did. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean,
2: getting into, you know the foul trouble certainly in Game Six saved their rear end, and it basically forced Doc's hand. I mean, that's the that's the reality of it here. But um, I don't know where this. You know, when I wrote my article about them, it was it was really Embiid centric because of the Supermax, and the second part was the roster. And I had in there about Tobias and Ben. You know, hey, you know, are you can you can you hold on and just wait for that next disgruntled All Star, but this value is not that next disgruntled all-star.
0: That's the reality of it right now. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But back to Butler. You know, that team, that was the only time – I've been saying this all year about the Sixers. They were never my pick to come out of the East. I said all year, even when I had the rights to Ricky Sanchez guys on multiple times, I just don't trust this team in a big spot. And game five was exactly why I never did. And game seven was exactly why I never did. Um, the but when Butler was there, because they had a guy who could go get his own shot, a perimeter guy, that was the only time that they felt like, okay, they're on to a championship formula. They didn't win, but I mean, I talked to the Raptors players about it during the conference, during the finals and the conference finals. They feared that Philly team more than the Bucs and more than the version of the Warriors that they ended up playing with all the injuries. They, they, that team was an absolute bear to play against. And then, Jimmy Butler turns into Josh Richardson and Al Horford, which are now Seth Curry and Danny Green. And you can trace all of that all the way back to kind of the first trade of the process, which is Drew Holiday gets you, I believe the picks that become Noel and Sarich yep. and, and Sarich is part of the Butler trade. So there's all that sort of, you, we can go back and litigate the process if you want, but um, you know, it just, that was the, that was a team that was fearsome and there are a bunch of crossroads things that you can look back on when you, when you want to say, have they gotten enough? Eight years. Eight years ago, the process started. Have they gotten enough? The two big ones are Butler, moving on from Butler, for reasons that I don't think have really all still come out yet, um, and Fultz. Those are the, those are the two crossroads. Uh, if, they, if they have Tatum instead of Fultz, this is, this is obviously just a whole completely different situation.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's um, sustainable success when it comes to the roster, right? Can you build it long-term? I even go back, Zach, and I know J.J. Redick is not at the point where he was four or five years ago, but there are a lot of games when J.J. was there that he saved their rear end at the end of games. The ability to make shots, and you're basically now relying on Seth Curry. Like, you know, Seth Curry probably was their – if they win this series, probably is their MVP right out of this group. I mean, certainly Embiid, you can make the argument before, but they didn't really have another shot maker on this roster. Corkmas
0: um, you know, yeah, they had, they had some shot some... missers. They had a few <laughs> shot missers.
2: Um, um, but but Redick, you know, he he covered up a lot of deficiencies here, and then you mentioned that with with Jimmy there, and and when those two guys move on. Now it's, you know, it's it's the Embiid,
0: Simmons, Tobias Harris show. So they, they owe, they're now net negative one first rounder yeah. because of that Horford dump, big dump, big old <laughs> dump, uh, Oklahoma City. And uh, so that's not great, but it's not it's not bad. But I just, I'm looking at the roster, like I just don't know what other card they have to play other than trading Simmons, which is, of course, the card that, all the skeptics have been waiting for them to play for years and years. Skeptics who, frankly, have turned out to be right. Like they just don't—they don't fit well enough together. And and they're great. They're a great defensive fit. And when they had Butler, it looked like they could make it work as a two-way team. Last year, Simmons gets hurt in the playoffs. We so don't really get to see it, and that team was all misshapen anyway. So, I that the skeptics appear that they're going to be right, except a couple of things have changed in the interim period. Number one, Simmons trade value has gone down. Number two, you know, I I've had, and I'm sure you've had a lot of rebuilding teams over the years, over the last 18 months have asked me, Hey, do you really think Philly would, f- would give up Simmons? Cause we'd be, we'd be really interested in yeah. getting in on that as, yeah. as just sort of like a centerpiece of our team. He's still just 24. The record shows that when you surround him with shooting, and let him fly. He he plays pretty well. The team record is just so so. But he he, you know, you go back to the stretch at the end of the twenty eighteen season when Embiid was hurt, and they had Ilya Silva and Bellinelli flying around making shots. Uh, this year, he had forty whatever against Utah when Embiid was hurt. Like I'd had teams rebuilding teams that we we'd like to get a shot at that. Well, a lot of those rebuilds have since progressed and gotten players that they those teams kind of like. And then the teams that are in deep rebuild. I don't really think make a lot of sense for reason number three, which is Joel Embiid is now an MVP candidate who's 27 years old and needs to win immediately. You can't go to Orlando or Oklahoma city or whoever and say, give us the mother load of draft picks and unproven 20 year old players for Ben Simmons, because Joel Embiid is going to look around and, and be like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do now? So it's, they need a win now trade. And it's going to be really hard, but it, it, they are going. I mean, I, I haven't talked to anybody in the Philadelphia front office. They're clearly going to have to explore trading Simmons. There's just there's no question in my mind. This is, I guess, me speculation because I haven't called all of them. Maybe they're going to be steadfast and say we won't do it while his value is this low. But I find it hard to believe they're just going to sit on their hands. Well, I think you're going to be
2: more aggressive than you were a year ago. I mean, that's that's the reality of it. Is that um, you know, and, and you mentioned it, it's like it's not like you can call like the Knicks. For example, and say, we will give you Ben and we want 19, 21, a young player and a future draft pick, right? Like, like what does that do for you? Like it, you know, what what is it, you know, it doesn't really create much cap space. Yeah. This team, it. this is
0: the last team that can go to their fan base and say, we're rebuilding all over again. Did you like the did you like the Michael Carter Williams year? We're gonna do that again. And we're, they can't do it.
2: Well, and then you turn around and give Embiid to Supermax. Yeah, we're going to rebuild, but you know what? We're going to give Joel one hundred ninety-seven million dollars for the next four years. What? Like if you trade million.
0: Ben, <laughs> if you trade Simmons for just draft picks and like R.J. Hampton and what? I'm just making up. They yeah, traded for enough. like every everyone on Oklahoma, every pick Oklahoma City had. Might as well trade Embiid. Just just do it all again. Try again. Try to harvest all the apples or whatever the quote was.
2: Well, and that's why when you go when you do the exercise when we go through the rosters, it's like, you know, what's what's there? You know, there's there's a lot of these teams have point have guards, point guards. Um, you know, Sacramento, oh. take you can take Buddy Hield and Marvin Bagley. There you go.
0: Sac's not a bad one. I you just know? think I think a lot of these teams would be like, well, we have we have De'Aaron Fox. Yeah. Like, what is what is yeah. like? I guess we could make. The whole thing of make Ben Simmons Draymond Green only works if he's willing to be Draymond Green and really only works if... Like, Draymond Green is is Draymond Green all the time and he he can make plays in any circumstance, but he really becomes Draymond Green when he's at center with four shooters around him. And so, like, Philadelphia can fake that with Embiid, but Embiid doesn't want to stand around a three-point arc all the time. He says he doesn't like shooting threes. He wants to post up. So Ben can't be... Draymond Green rolling to the rim because the rim is somebody else's territory in Philly. You've got to have the same kind of roster construction to let the rim be his territory. If you want him to be Draymond Green, maybe he could play that with a Fox or something, but we can go through the fake trades if you want. You have any alike.
2: Well, I mean the one that we're probably going to hear is is Portland, right? I mean, that's probably the the flavor of the day with, with, uh, with McCollum. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, but that's a matter of whoever they hire you know, in Portland, does that fit their style? You know, I mean, the salaries match. So that's, you know, that's the easy one. But, um, I, I mean, I'm not even, for Portland, I mean, I guess it's a change of scenery when you're moving away from, from CJ and you're bringing back Ben. Um, I mean, he'd fit probably, like Chicago maybe, right? I mean, if you're going to have- So these like, are, Portland,
0: so you, you've nailed the two. The two names, when we boil it all down, the two individual names that make you stop and say, okay, kind of makes sense for both teams. Let me let me think it out are CJ McCollum and Zach Levine. Yeah. And I can tell you right now, Portland is going to talk tough today about well, why would we trade CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons? CJ McCollum is a proven score. Well, we just saw what Ben Simmons, you know, did in the playoffs. And I that's fine. I get it. CJ's 29, I think. 29, almost 30. He's on a giant contract. Ben Simmons is 24 and on a giant contract. And yeah, again, you can sit here and tell me, well, we have Nurkic, so the same low post center mesh thing is going to happen here. But Lillard Simmons makes sense to me. Nurkic is a complicating factor. We'll deal with that later. Lillard McCollum has made a lot of sense but hasn't quite gotten you over the hump and there are clear defensive limitations there. That makes sense. Levine, I can hear the Bulls front office in my head already and I can hear the Bulls fans in my head already. All-star, 28 a game, making and 0.5 million, $12 million less than Ben Simmons or whatever it is. We just watched the same playoff series you did. Why would we do it? I get it. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe you look at what just happened, what's going on in the league and say, Clearly, offense is now su- surpassed defense as given the way the league is officiated as, as, a, as, as important or more important postseason success ingredient. Why are we going to trade elite offense and OK to bad defense for elite defense and OK to bad offense? I get it. I get it. Maybe you won't. But I don't necessarily see a way to get Ben Simmons to Chicago without putting Zach Levine in the deal because Patrick Williams and all your young assets, those are cool. They don't do anything for Joel Embiid's life right now. Um, and and on the flip side, it's similar to the McCollum thing, where where Levine's got a potentially huge extension coming up for him, I believe after next season, because this season they need cap space to do it, right? This yeah, they, he, would he, cap space they, can,
2: they can extend them, but it's going to be below his, his market number, so he'll play not, it he's out. He's not doing it. Yeah, he'll play it out, and he'll be a res- he'll be a free agent, and where you know they can sign him up to.
0: And and you can cap? and you can talk yourself into Simmons and Vucevic Vucevic is a four or five that makes sense offense defense complementary players maybe Chicago just holds their nose and says we love Zach Levine we are building around Zach Levine made the All Star team if those two don't materialize then I'm not exactly sure what will but there are others we can go through if you want well you know what's going to happen to
2: Zach uh, the, during this week is that there's going to be teams that see blood in the water here all right? and they are going to give instructions to their personnel department to go through Ben Simmons last 2 years and give me the good All right don't give me i don't want to see Atlanta Ben Simmons i want to see the i want to see the good version of Ben Simmons and then you're going to then you're going to try to buy low that's what you're going to do because you're going to figure, you're going to talk yourself into how he would fit with your roster, and then you're gonna then you're going to you're gonna buy low. I mean, that's you're gonna offer something that Daryl would have
0: hung the phone up a year ago.
2: Now does it does it pique his interest? That's the big. Yeah, thing. your
0: your Bradley Beal dreams are right oh, now on gone. Hold. your Dame <laughs> yeah, Lillard yeah. dreams are on hold. Yeah. So let's go. Let me go through some so, some ones just real quickly. Yeah. I already did the rebuilding ones, right? Like you're just not going to get either. Of those rebuilding teams have moved on. Or they just don't have the stuff that that Philly wants. Like the I've, I've seen people pitch me John Wall and Eric Gordon and some all the Rockets pick. No, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Well, maybe I, I. You never say never. I just don't really see that one. I've seen Denver brought up a few times, which I get for this for the following reasons: Michael Porter Jr.'s back just acted up, and that's a scary thing, right? Jamal Murray's injured for a year. Let's get another ball handler in. Simmons, Jokic, Murray. That's a natural fit. Blah. blah. I just don't. I don't think that's going to be a thing. I don't think – I don't sense Denver has a big appetite to upend its franchise to absorb the player that we just watched in the playoffs. Could be wrong. I just don't see it. Um, and so those are some of the ones that I sort of wanted to, to talk about and just throw out to the side quickly. I'll give you a couple other ones I like. Are you ready? Yep. Let's go. These are not going to be popular with Philly fans. I went through them a little bit last week. I think you could make something with Gordon Hayward and something else from Charlotte. The problem is Charlotte may say, well, he's not a great fit with LaMelo Ball. Um, So that's one. Can I tell you – I I just – they never seem to be in on these things. But can I tell you my sneakiest team? Just just purely putting puzzle pieces together. San Antonio Mm. is just tailor-made for a bunch of stuff for one guy, throw some things at the wall, move. Like why not? Just say here's some here's some veterans who compliment Simmons. Here's some draft picks. We are we. It, it would require them thinking we've got a bunch of pretty good young guys. We don't think they're going to add up to a great team, even when they all reach 23, 24, 25 years old. Derek White's already 26, I think. Let's just take a shot. And could, could correct me if I'm wrong. I believe they could sign and trade DeRozan to the Sixers and the Sixers would still be able to get under the hard cap, right? I yep. think they would have enough leeway, right? I, that would. one. Yeah, they would. The they Sp- would and the Spurs them. have Chip England. If there's one guy who can fix Ben Simmons and make them change hands, they've got him. Well, here's the, here's the question I
2: always pose. And I ask internally when, whenever these big names become available and they've got a lot of money left under contract, it's, and this is a perfect example for San Antonio. If Ben Simmons, right? Zach was a free agent this offseason. Would you pay four for one forty-seven for him?
0: I don't know. I, I I don't think you would. I just no, you wouldn't. I mean, if you're if you if clearly if you have ambitions of playing deep into the postseason, unless you have a perfect roster for him, I I think the answer is no. Yeah, I mean that's I mean
2: he's your big he's your big ticket free agent. That's that's who he is, especially if you know. I mean, the the Rosen number doesn't even really, doesn't even count against their books. I mean, he's their he's their their number one
0: free agent to to add to this roster. I like that one. I mean, I don't think the Rosen's a great. I mean, he's a non. He doesn't like to shoot threes. He's but at least he shoots jump shots. And like I, you know, but the problem is if you if you like I, another one I made up, which I actually like this one kind of is Minnesota for D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley. Now, Malik Beasley's got to come because I just don't think D'Angelo Russell's enough. Now, then I have to send more money out if I'm Philadelphia, which raises another point that you're probably going to bring up is they need to turn one of these salary slots, whether it's re-signing Danny Green or Mike Scott, into like an $8 million contract just for trade purposes, just for this reason. I actually like the Russell Beasley fit around Embiid. The problem, and this would be a great segue to Utah, is – If you start building this team that's like all shooting and Joel can solve every problem on defense and we don't care about the defense at the other positions, Utah just built that team and ran into an all-small-ball team in the Clippers and all of a sudden having all below-average defenders around Rudy Gobert became a giant problem that Rudy Gobert could not fix. Rudy Gobert, also not great in that series. We'll talk about it. But I just – the more defense you put on Embiid, the more you make it all him and nobody else. And I get you still have Thybul. I guess it just the 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 more rickety it gets. I like that one though, Russell and Beasley. I, I mean Simmons and Towns. Towns loves shooting threes. He'll shoot two, shoot fifteen a game.
2: You know what it's teaching us? It is humbling building rosters, isn't it? There's no it's it's hard to kind of split the middle here when you when you do. I like it. I mean, you know, it, it makes sense. You know, yeah, you mentioned you got to send out some you know some more money to try to even it out a little bit here, but you're targeting those small market rebuild type teams that would not be able to get a Ben Simmons in free agency. That's your target teams. It's like with us and Darren Williams with Utah. You know, I nine, 10 years ago, like we couldn't have gotten Darren Williams in free agency. We had trade for him. We were a middle of the road rebuilding type team. And and Utah realized that and and targeted us to
0: trade him. Ben Simmons is 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 a better basketball player than he looked in the last two weeks. Yes, he's a good player. Yep. So he's and by the way, even you have to give him credit. Even as he's having a complete malfunction on offense, never stopped on defense, and really bothered Trey Young all the way down to the end of that series. Um, will look would look better with a change of scenery. Yes. Like he's going to if he gets traded to the right place, he's going to come out and put up good numbers and look really good and and look better than this. So like I one of these teams is going to talk themselves into it and I think the Sixers will get decent value for him even coming off this because the the longer this gets in the rearview, the the more people will start to look at the player he can be instead of the player he just was against the Atlanta Hawks.
2: Yeah, that's how it always is. I mean, you talk yourself into, you look at the whole body of work. You don't look at the Atlanta series. You look at the last two or three years. And if you're Philly, get away from this for like the next like two weeks. Like just get away from this roster and then keep,
0: take a deep breath as far as what you want to do. And it can't all be on Simmons either. Like – You know, the bench was bad. Tobias Harris missed a million shots. Doc Rivers, look, it has to be said, just another playoff meltdown from a Doc Rivers team. And I don't know, I've never come away from any of these series. Clippers 2015, Clippers 2014. I mean, on and on, right? Clippers 2020, Clippers, Clippers, Clippers. And said, boy, there was all these moves that I really hated. Or like I was really yelling about the coaching. All the way through. Everyone's yelling about the Sixers bench. Well, they tried the bench mob. That didn't work. They tried Harris and the bench mob. That didn't work. Yeah, you could argue they shouldn't have played Dwight. Just play Simmons at center. That hasn't really worked. And the real issue is that they can't stagger Simmons and MB because they don't trust Simmons to carry the offense, blah, blah, blah. Like, but you got to find something. Like when a game is slipping away, like game five slipped away. You got to find something, and I, all i I know the I know the Doc Rivers team collapsing face. Now it's it's a it's a tight. His face gets very tight, yeah. And he's trying to maintain his stone face, but in his eyes, you see you see the sa- a mix of sadness and panic. The eyes reveal it all, and I can see that face. I will close my eyes tonight, <laughs> and I will wake up in a cold sweat at three thirty because I'll be dreaming, and in the dream, Doc Rivers will just be looking at me with the Doc Rivers. <laughs> Meltdown, panic face, <laughs> and you I, know what I'm talking about. That, I,
2: yeah, we saw it. it in a we saw it in, in last year in Denver. We saw it in Denver. We saw it in the Denver series when I, when Denver hit that point in the. I think it was like five minutes left in that fourth quarter.
0: We 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 saw it. The two other teams that we should mention are just Indiana is ripe for something. I don't yeah. really love any fake image trades. I've been able to
2: a lot of contract yeah. move there, right, like those ten to twenty million dollar guys, those in betweeners. They're there. Yep,
0: and the Warriors, you know, we'll see how the lottery works out for them. They've got a lot of draft capital. They've got Wiseman. They've got Wiggins, which people want to do that swap. I mean, maybe there's something there. Hell, maybe swap Draymond Green. I don't see them doing that, but who knows? Maybe we, we should at least mention. Them. Is there any any Simmons potential Simmons suitor that we did not mention? Did I get no, everybody? I
2: mean, like even like you know like. Even like a team like Memphis, who is like, you know, kind of like not, they're there, but not quite there. Like, I don't even know how he would fit there. Like, you know, like Winslow, Anderson, crew, draft picks and stuff. But what does that do for Philly? I don't know how he fits in
0: he no, fit I'm not Memphis. I'm not seeing it. Not seeing it. I no. think they're all in on Morant, Jackson. Yeah. Figure it out from there.
2: Yeah. Even the Lakers, Zach, I don't even, you know, Kuzma, KCP. Their first round pick—that's not going to do it either. The uh, asset well is dried up there.
0: You well, you could sign and the Lakers. You could sign and trade Schroeder, right, and put in all that other stuff. And so I can talk myself into that if I'm Philly. Then I'm the Lakers, and I'm like, well, my 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 spacing already stinks, and I'm adding Simmons and Simmons and LeBron and Davis. I mean, that's a lot of talent. It's a lot of talent. It's certainly a buffer against LeBron's, you know aging and injuries or whatever happens to him as he approaches, you know, his late thirties. I just don't, I'm not, the fit is obviously not ideal, but it's, I guess you got to sniff it out as a talent play. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance, superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, led headlights, and more whether you're into speed, power or style. eBay motors has you covered. Let's pivot and talk about a team that, frankly, Philly is going to get all the headlines and just got the first whatever minutes of this podcast. I think it's I think Utah's failure to to win a game against the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard is is alarming and just as much of a catastrophic outcome for them as this is for Philly. This is an all in team. They traded a bunch of stuff to get Mike Conley. Yes, Mike Conley was injured for the first five games of the series. Donovan Mitchell was playing on an ankle injury. Donovan Mitchell on an ankle injury that, you know, everyone's sitting there saying, well, he can't, he's got no explosion, blah, blah, blah. He he just put up, you know, like 33 a game in the series, shot, I think it was 36 of 80, 45% on threes. Like, yeah, maybe he didn't have his burst on either end of the floor as the Clippers just drove right by him. The Clippers were just saying, hey, get out of my way, get out of my way, get out of my way, driving kick. But it's not like he was out there limping around like a zombie doing nothing. The guy was making shots all the time. Um, I just think if you're Utah and they're playing without Kawhi Leonard, you you just have to win one of those. You have to at least get that to Utah for Game 7. I think that's a disaster that raises a lot of questions about Some of us have been wondering all year, is this a team that's better in the regular season than it is in the playoffs? We've saw this movie with James Harden against them before. Is Gobert a better regular season than playoff player? Well, that question's been answered. The answer to that is yes. The the, the only question is by what degree. Uh, But going forward, look at the roster, look at the salary sheet. Like. This is not. There's just not a
2: lot for them to do, right? No, I mean, when I wrote their article, I mean, it was it was challenging because usually I like to dive into three or four things, and for them, I couldn't because Donovan was extended, Rudy was extended. Um, It the focus is Mike Conley, right? I mean, he's the he's the focus as far as their um, their marquee free agent. What is the cost of Mike Conley Jr.? Um, You know you don't bring him back you're basically probably left with Donovan at point guard right like kind of what we saw a little bit um, you know when Mike hasn't played you, know, you got your tax mid level to go out and get a maybe another backup or something else but Conley is your is the you know he's your focus what's his cost and what's his market outside of Utah
0: yeah the um, they're in a use it or lose it with him right it's not like they're going to have cap space for Mike Con- to to replace Mike Conley and as you pointed out in your piece The cap space market might not be huge for him in terms of who has room, who needs a point guard, who's going to really spend it on Mike Conley. And it's easy for us to sit here and say, well, Mike Conley gets injured at the end of the year. He's 34. Why would they bring him back? Why would they pay him three years, 90 million or whatever figure you want to make up? Oh, well, he just made the all-star team. And what are my alternatives? I'm trying to win. I'm trying to win. You can sit here and tell me Mitchell's 24, right? So say you wanted to trade Gobert. Say you're so disappointed in what you just saw in the playoffs you want to move on from Gobert. Maybe I can sell to Donovan. Donovan's three years younger than Embiid, right? If we're going to compare Utah and Philly. Maybe I can sell him on. We can take a step back here and get some rebuilding assets and be ready to gear up again when you're 27. You're only 24. You're not Joel Embiid. But you just spent a gazillion, not a gazillion, but like 18 a year on Bogdanovich, who's 30 or whatever he is. You just paid Clarkson a lot of money. He's in his prime. You just extended Ingles. Well, there's only one year left on that deal. He's in his prime. You just bought Derek Favors in at three years, 30. He's in his prime or past it. Like you're, you're built to win today. Yeah, Royce Still.
2: O'Neal too. I mean, Royce is on a good contract for the next three years, I think. Um,
0: he might be their only trade ship. Like, I guess Clarkson probably has positive trade value now after the season he just had, but not like people aren't b- battering down their doors to get Jordan Clarkson.
2: No, they're not. I mean, I mean you know, Bogdanovic certainly probably has value, right? Um, but as I said, like to become a buyer, you got to be a seller. So going back to Conley is that you, they knew when they made that deal in 2019 that eventually Donovan and Rudy were going to be coming up here and that there was going to be a significant price to pay if Conley was their guy moving forward here. And I think they're they're at the point of they're going to be in the luxury tax again and, and they're going to be fine. They're that's something that they are going to have to embrace here.
0: Rudy Gobert is almost 29 years old. So you're again, as long as he's on a team, you're trying to win now. As long as he's on a team making 40 a year or whatever it is, you're trying to win now. And I think he's actually been a little better in the playoffs than some of the just screaming critics of his game might think. Even against the, even against the Nuggets last season, I thought he was mostly very good. Um this was a bad series. This is a bad last few games for him. And some of it is on him. And some of it is on the fact that Utah built this roster where he's the only good really defender on the roster. And so when the Clippers spread them out, he's got to guard someone. He's far from the rim. The other four guys can't. I mean, Royce O'Neill's obviously a good defender. Forgive me. I forgot him. The other, the other four guys weren't containing. Even Royce O'Neal wasn't containing. And so – Know, yeah, he gave up a lot of corner threes. He wasn't really put in an optimal situation, but here's the thing the playoffs are never going to be an optimal situation for a a seven foot, whatever center. Like every year in the playoffs, every round you get, your chances of running into a switch everything defense, a small ball offense get greater and greater and greater. And he, to me, the damning thing is not even it's part of it was the defense. The damning thing is that. You could put a Reggie Jackson or Patrick Beverly on him on a switch. They're not even throwing him the ball. Their only hope is that he gets an offensive rebound. To, to me, the inability to do anything with the ball. Like Vucevic, you want to nitpick Vucevic's defense. You put a guard on him in the playoffs, he's putting that dude in the basket. over, or He's at least making a jump hook over him over and over again.
2: Well, and and the hard thing for Utah going forward is that now this is kind of the formula, right? I mean, you you get to the play, we get to the playoffs next year. It's going to be whoever they play in the first or second round, or you know, this is kind of how it's going to be how it's going to be, right? I mean, the Clippers basically just kind of, you know, games five, six, games five and six, laid it all, laid the cards out there for that.
0: And I thought Ty Lue did like when when Kawhi got hurt, there was the whole how is he, who's he going to start. And he just tripled down. So we're we're playing small. We're living or dying in this series playing small. And it worked. And Terrence Mann went bananas. And Paul George continues to defy um, the criticism for a little. And you can't say enough about the Clippers. I didn't think they had it in them to win that series without Kawhi Leonard. Thought they might get it to seven. That was one hell of a performance. and, And they didn't win game one in the conference finals. But they got to the conference finals, which for the Clippers is... That's the whole thing, you know, to get that far.
2: Well, and I mean, besides the resilient factor, I felt with the Clippers, when Paul – I mean, when Kawhi got hurt, it was like almost like Paul took like a a deep breath, right? Like it was like it almost relaxed him a little bit here. Um, And we saw the Paul George that we saw in Oklahoma City that year, um, you know, that he was basically an MVP-type candidate, um, carry them. Something that they needed certainly. Terrence Mann's game six performance is going to be the headliner, but even yesterday or on on Sunday in um, in the Phoenix game, like like he he carried that group to a point. They just kind of lost to a better team.
0: They're just, they're 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 playing with with great spunk, and but yeah, the Phoenix Phoenix is playing without Chris Paul. Um, yeah, you know it's easy to sit here and say. Well, the Jazz need more athleticism on the wing. They need a bigger wing who can defend and do enough to stay on the floor offensively. Okay, so they need the most coveted kind of player in the entire NBA. That's that's all they need. They need they need to turn Royce O'Neal and the 30th pick in the draft, which they can trade, I believe, after the draft. Right. Yes. Um, So they are going to turn Royce. Royce O'Neal in the 30th pick in the draft is going to be an athletic two way wing. That's that's good. Or Jordan Clarkson in the 30th pick in the draft is going to be an athletic 6'8 wing who can shoot threes and defend. OK, OK. What you're really going to do is you're going to take a lot of shots on guys like Torrey Craig, those kind of guys. And Torrey Craig is really helping the Phoenix Suns. He's been tremendous in the playoffs. He's playing like 15 minutes a game. He's not on the floor for some of or all of crunch time. Like this is a tough ask. For this franchise to get that kind of player. By the way, they're just so, you mentioned something before that just made me laugh about just how difficult it is to build teams. Utah, so here's how Utah gets to, to be the number one seed. Their highest draft picks during this sort of post Millsap jefferson rigmarole are Trey Burke, bust, Dante Exum, uber bust, right? Yep. The two picks that it ends up being are thirteen and twenty-seven Mitchell and Gobert both acquired via trade, both from the Denver Nuggets. One of which I believe is still the last first-round pick to be sold for straight cash. I that think there's correct. also like the token yeah, second-round pick. Yeah, there.
2: there's something else out there. But yeah, I think uh, Kevin Porter uh, and uh, was spot in uh, that the Detroit-Cleveland trade. But this, was, but there was like five seconds involved. Yeah, they, this they, was they a straight. Double. This was a straight cash
0: deal. It, then their star- free agent leaves for nothing. and they still survive that. It doesn't It doesn't end up mattering. Um and it's just you just couldn't duplicate that if you tried. Uh, and and they did a great job to make to make those picks. It's just going to be, I just don't know what the path we you can sit here and name me all these wings that you can get on the minimum. You know, I mean, Nick Patoum was available on the minimum. and and he's been monstrously important for the Clippers and has played even better since Kawhi got hurt. So it is possible. I just think to act as if one of those guys is going to come in and be that player for you for 30 minutes a game, it takes a lot of luck and maybe three or four shots at it before you find one. I just don't really see what the path is for them. Now Their front office is way smarter than me. Maybe they'll find one. Maybe there's who knows, like maybe there's even more dramatic changes coming there than we think. I mean, that was a really, really bad loss. Game six was a really, really bad loss.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it, but, but it's hard for me just to think that there's an overhaul here. You just laid it out as far as where the roster is, unless it's going to be one of your, your sixth man or your, one of your rotational players that impacted, you know, they're not going to find it with the 30th. I don't think you're going to find it with the 30th pick. And if you do, it might be three years from now. You know, that kid is not going to be right now. It might be two or three years from now. And you hit it on that with the wings. Like we always went through that exercise in New Jersey and Brooklyn. Like those guys aren't, They're not around like we all want them. We want wings. We want wings that can defend, make a couple threes. They're just not there for you, especially not not at the minimum number, man. You better, you know, find an under the radar guy that we're like talking in like January. Like where'd that kid, where'd that guy come from?
0: Well, it was interesting that they drafted a center in the most recent draft when they have a great, a very good starting center in Gobert. And I did say before that the most, the more damning thing to me about Gobert's performance against the Clippers was his inability to do all that much on offense. That said, their defense was just bad. I mean, the Clippers scored like 125 points per 100 possessions in that series. Their defense was also not good against Memphis. Like, the the Grizzlies picked them apart, uh, picked their defense apart too. The defense was better with Gobert on the floor in that series, but still... Just they did not have a good defensive playoffs. The, the number one or two of their number two defense in the NBA didn't work in the playoffs. And Donovan Mitchell, the last thing is, you know, interestingly, the stuff about the ankle. So I looked up his uh his shot distribution. In the regular season, 23% of his shots came at the rim. Average number for, for a guy, his position. Against the Clippers, when he was dealing with a leg injury and didn't have any bursts and all this, 23% of his shots came at the rim. He took a lot more threes. But all of the threes came out of mid-range shots. I just—I'm not saying that he was clearly injured and hampered. I'm just saying that he, he still played really well. Like, I don't know—I don't know how much more you can ask for him from him. Well, yeah, I mean, it's—it's it's, you know, it, it's
2: not like he just stood behind a three-point arc and just chucked them up here. You know, he was he's still, as you mentioned, he still attacked the basket here, and he did, and he played great. I mean, he played well. I mean, but. At the end of the day, this team will will be remembered by giving up 80 points in the second half in game six and not taking advantage of Kawhi Leonard not being
0: there. It's a a big disappointment for them. When Kawhi Leonard got hurt, they should have won this series. They should be in the conference finals. They should be talking themselves up as we might be the favorites to get out of the West or at least we can go toe-to-toe with Phoenix, even though Phoenix was 3-0 against us in the regular season. Now they go home. They have a lot of tough questions to answer. Um Bobby Marks, no one is better at our shop at answering those questions than you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for not wearing a Vineyard Vine shirt to my <laughs> podcast. And uh, hopefully I will see you soon. It's good, it's good to see your face, at least.
2: Thanks, Zach. It was a pleasure.
1: Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt.
0: All right, let's continue on with the Monday extravaganza by bringing in the one and only Kevin Pelton to discuss Hawks-Bucks, the Bogdan Bogdanovich Bowl in the Eastern Conference Finals in Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals, which was yesterday. Mr. Pelton, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm, glad. I'm not sure when these teams met in January that people were looking at that as a Eastern Conference Finals preview.
0: That was definitely not in the TV promotional materials. Watch the. Eastern Conference finals preview tonight between the Hawks and the Bucks, but it is the Bogdan Bogdanovich bowl. That's kind of juicy.
1: It is. And it's interesting because it was there was definitely moments in the last round where you're like, if the if the Bucks lose this series, how much are we going to look back on that Bogdanovich transaction is a critical factor in them not having enough offense late in these games? And I
0: guess I'm not really sure how to feel about the Bucks after that Nets series. I mean on the one hand, you have to credit them for sticking with it, right? And they kept their defense. Their defense kept grinding. They never got so discouraged about how their offense was sputtering about that it affected their defense. They got they toughed out a road win in Game 7, which is the toughest one to get in sports. They toughed it out against Durant, who was superhuman almost the entire series. Harden actually you know, gave them some points, 22, I think, in, in Game 7. On the other hand, it's like Kyrie's out. Harden's tweaks his hamstring 17 seconds into the series and is sort of immobile for a lot of the time he does play, like you, you kind of should win that one.
1: Well, we know all the things that we were going to say about the Bucs, that people were going to say about the Bucs. It's similar to what people are saying about the Sixers. If Kevin Durant's foot had been beyond the arc on that three-point shot at the end of regulation and it had been a game winner instead of a game-tying shot. So it, it's not like those thoughts completely disappear. And, and that does probably show to some degree how ridiculous they are, that whether you believe those things about the Bucks or in this case, the Sixers, depends on whether a shot is a two or a three, which is not something they have any particular control of, or, or whether that shot goes down. I, I mean, I do think it's definitely to the Bucks' credit that they have advanced this far without getting much from their offense. You know, the only three teams that have worse shot making in the playoffs, according to Second Spectrum's data, when you account for the players taking the shots, have been teams that were easily eliminated in the first round, didn't even make it to a game seven in the first round. So for them to survive that and get to the conference finals, I, I think does, you know, they do deserve a fair amount of grit, but. Or do I feel confident about the Bucks going forward? No, I still don't feel that. Uh, what is the most interesting thing to you
0: about this conference finals? What's the thing when Game One tips off? You're going to be looking for how do they handle this? Who guards who? Whatever it is, what what's the thing that jumps out?
1: So I'm assuming you're heading a similar direction, but to me, the key battleground in this series is basically uh, five to ten feet away from the basket. Uh, straight on, where Trey Young is going to take an incredible number of shots in this series, assuming that the the you know they can't find a way to to beat Brook Lopez's drop defense in an entirely different way. Uh, the the regular season meeting between these two teams that Trey Young did play, which he only played in one of the three. The, yeah, the, play the regular play season did,
0: games are not are not super useful. There's people missing every single game. Collins misses a game. Capella misses a game. Trey misses two games. Tucker trade is only, I think, one or two of them. It's, it's a
1: whole mess. Absolutely. But that one game that Trey did play, according to the play-by-play, play, 13 of his 17 shot attempts in that game we're running floaters. Uh, the second spectrum data has it a little more conservative. They've got it as eight, but that's still tied for the second most in a game this season. I mean, these are the shots that the Bucks defense is basically designed to give up. These are the shots that Trey Young has taken twice as many of as anyone else in the playoffs, according to second spectrum. And whether he can make those shots at, you know, probably a better than 50% rate, I think is going to go a long way towards determining how this series plays out.
0: Yeah, if you watch the tape... I mean, if you think Joel Embiid was in a drop, wait until you see how Brooke Lopez is going to be waiting for Trey Young in the paint. I mean, they're just going to count on Drew Holiday is going to guard Trey Young. Drew Holiday just, wherever you need him, defensively, offensively, it can get a little dicey with Drew Holiday's shot selection and his turnovers, but he's fine. Defensively, you want him on Kyrie? Take Kyrie. You want him on Harden, take Harden. Oh, Harden gets hurt, back to Kyrie. You need him to spot some minutes on Durant. He's given up a lot of hype and he's going to battle. Now it's like Trey Young, totally different kind of player. Go, go guard Trey Young. DiVincenzo guarded him some too. He's obviously injured. So you're going to see Trey Young's going to drive and it's going to be up to Drew Holiday to be on top of his shoulder and it's going to be up to Drew Holiday to not foul him. And this is an interesting battleground. This is the team that is the best in the league at avoiding fouls. The Bucs are the least opponent free throw rate, lowest opponent free throw rate in the league. This was the team that, you know, had just like Bud comes from the Spurs tree, which is what's your solution to James Harden? Put your hands behind your back. And and they're playing Trey Young, who's the best in the league, at drawing, other than Harden, I guess, at drawing fouls of varying, varying qualities, including Dwight Howard just running him over the other night. That, last night in game seven. That was a fun, that was a fun like two irritants just colliding in the stupidest way possible, and then Trey Young doing push-ups. Push ups. The push ups are badass. I am very pro doing push ups, particularly when you're the little guy in the collision.
1: It's definitely, I don't know that there's a much better way to resolve it. Like, you're not going to go away like flexing necessarily, but that's a way for you to show your strength, I suppose.
0: Um, so, yeah, Trey's going to take a ton of floaters to your point.
1: Yeah. And I, I am hopeful, you mentioned Drew's offense in this series. I I think it's going to be interesting because he was carrying such a heavy load in terms of minutes and defensive assignments, and it's not going to get easier in defensive assignments in this series, but maybe the minutes won't be as severe, and maybe that helps him get going as a shooter.
0: Well, that is my second biggest question, is who does Trey on guard? Because if they start this, if Milwaukee starts this same jumbo lineup with Tucker, Giannis, and Lopez, which... I guess we can talk about whether that's a, a decision they should make or not, but maybe they'll start Forbes, whatever Conditon. But if they start that lineup, no matter who they start, you can put, you know, Capella on Giannis, which is a matchup we'll see a lot, uh, or you can put Collins on Giannis. We'll see both. We're going to see a lot of people on Giannis. Let's just say they start Capella on Giannis, Collins on Brook Lopez, which is the alignment that they used a lot in the regular season. Capella Giannis is a fun, a fun matchup too. Then you put if they continue to start Herder and Bogdanovich, which TBD, I guess uh, you put Herder and Bogdanovich on the combination of Middleton and Holiday, and then you hide Trey Young on PJ Tucker. We just saw them hide the Nets, hide James Harden on PJ Tucker. Is that where we end up seeing Trey Young? Because in pre-playoffs, pre-Bucks with the Jumbo lineup, Trey Young was on whoever the leftover guy was, DiVincenzo. Like that's how they set it up. I'm, I if I had to guess, I think they will if if that's the lineup the Bucks start, I think they will put Trey Young on PJ Tucker and, and just say, if you want to involve me, you gotta have PJ Tucker at the center of your offense and we'll take that trade-off.
1: So, one of the reasons to go back to how Milwaukee has been able to win two rounds without shooting the ball well at all from the perimeter, a lot of that has been offensive rebounding, which has been a big difference from this year's team than last year's team. It was clearly one of the adjustments they made in the wake of that Miami series. And I think it was something we talked about before the series as an area that they needed to win. And then you know, I'm not going to. There was a key offensive rebound. I guess it was that before the Durant shot in in overtime or in regulation, but they well, extended my, the. Well, my boy,
0: Bruce, my boy Bruce Brown, just all over the offensive glass in Game Seven.
1: Well, this was a Milwaukee one, and I was like, if that saves their season Uh-oh. in offensive rebound, that would be kind of a fitting testament to the changes they make. Now, ultimately, it was a defensive stop that saved their season, not that play. But uh, I, so if that ends, those end up being the matchups. I think you send PJ Tucker to the offensive glass, and well, I think oh, PJ Tucker him.
0: will. I think PJ Tucker will send himself to the offensive glass, <laughs> yes. and in the process, send Trey Young with like a well-timed <laughs> hip check or two. <laughs> flying out of bounds because P.J. Tucker loves offensive rebounding and particularly loves the baseline offensive rebound. He loves just using his big butt, knocking people out of the way and getting offensive rebounds on the baseline. And you absolutely nailed it. If Trey Young is hiding there, and I, I still think is that might be what I would do if I were Nate McMillan, I would say, okay, beat us with offensive rebounds. We'll, we'll have to gang rebound with Capella and Collins coming in to help us out. We'll We'll take that chance if it means – Trey gets to hide on Tucker. I mean, what where would you put him? Would you put him on Holly? I mean, what are my choices? Right, I don't have great choices.
1: Yeah, I mean, one thing I, I do expect is the Bucks' offense should probably be a little less one-on-one centric than it was against Brooklyn. It couldn't and, be
0: more. If it's oh, more, that's, that's I, I don't know if I can watch this, the games.
1: <laughs> but dramatically less, I think we're going to see more two-man actions, and that becomes interesting as well. And you know, hey, I guess that should
0: I take? Should I take? Let me just t- take notes. Two-man <laughs> actions. <laughs> Let gonna, me email that to the Bucks brain trust. Two-man <laughs> actions. Okay. They did run a fair – They ran a lot of Giannis screener pick and rolls. So I'm being a little facetious, but whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean they got a huge bucket on that one. And I guess that was late in regulation that the end of game seven is all run together for me at this point. Uh, but P.J. Tucker is not going to be the guy initiating those. So that's the other advantage of putting Trey Young on him. I, I think – What's more interesting for the Hawks in terms of defensive lineups is, you know, you mentioned assuming they stick with Bogdanovich and Herder as the starting wings. Do you think they can do that against Chris Middleton? I, I wonder whether Solomon Hill comes back into the lineup at least to start this series. Well,
0: Mr. Hill looms as an interesting, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this. Solomon Hill looms as a potentially interesting piece in the series because they also used him as a backup Giannis defender yep. quite a bit um and they've used them they he was a, he started the beginning of the the Philly series before they said we need more shooting on the floor we're getting killed in your minutes um the the Hill Collins Capella combo is minus 20 in 40 minutes for the playoffs i actually think you know this certainly isn't a defensive adjustment but i actually think they found something with Gallinari Collins Capella against Philly Philly obviously plays a very big starting five with Simmons, Harris, and Embiid. Tucker, Giannis, Lopez is similar. I don't know that they'll start Gallinari because I think they like to have that punch off the bench. But obviously, you can take them out early, bring them in with all that. Um, but that group was plus is plus twenty seven. That trio, Gallo, uh, Collins, Capella is plus twenty seven in sixty seven minutes in the playoffs after playing just five minutes the entire regular season together. I think that, like, they found – that is a move that I should have seen coming in the Philly series and did not pay a lot of attention to and thinking about the series ahead of time. Made a lot of sense and it worked. And I think it makes a lot of sense in this series too.
1: Well, the challenge then is that does force Trey to defend Drew Holiday in all likelihood, right? Because otherwise – You're right. Whether it's Gallo defending Middleton?
0: No. Uh, so, you're right. It changes the defensive adjustments for Trey. I don't think they'll start that lineup, but I think they'll find, they're certainly going to have to yeah. find places to use it, particularly again. Atlanta deserves a lot of credit for doing this with Hunter out and Reddish out, really thinning out their wing rotation.
1: But I think we may see Hunter's absence and feel that a bit more in this series. I mean, one of the things I'm really fascinated enough about to take a step back here is both of these teams tightened their rotations dramatically over the course of their second round series milwaukee in particular where you know it went from jeff teague in game one to all of a sudden pat Connaughton is the only reserve we trust to play any meaningful minutes in game seven in this series and that's not uncommon like i went back and looked at this you know basically there's not actually that much drop off in the size of teams rotations In game one by round, that doesn't necessarily, you know, get tighter from the first round to the second round of the conference finals to the finals. But over the course of series, you see nearly a player drop out on average. So all of a sudden, Bobby Portis is probably back in the rotation when these teams begin the series. You know, Forbes plays a larger role. And how long the bucks can stick with that, how effective those guys are. I, I do think this can be a much better Bobby Portis series. he was He was one of their you know average fourteen points a game against the Hawks in the regular season.
0: Um I agree. I almost wonder if Bud might get a little frisky and start Forbes instead of Tucker and just say, we don't have this like glaringly obvious matchup where PJ Tucker's defense is needed. Like his defense is needed, period, against Herder or Bogdanovich or whoever it is. But those are different kind of matchups and smaller kind of more shooting, run around and shoot matchups. He can guard those. I mean, he guarded Duncan Robinson some in the first round. I wonder if he might get frisky and say, "Let's start Bryn Forbes. Let's 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 have them guard Bryn Forbes with Trey Young, and then we can really." try to involve because Brent Forbes is a very frequent screen setter for Giannis. He loves to run around. Let's try and hunt Trey that way and get him involved with our best shooter our second best shooter, Middleton, really when you consider the quality of his looks as the best shooter. But I, I I don't think that's a crazy idea either. I, I, I'm very interested to see who starts the games.
1: It just creates all sorts of different matchups at both ends of the court. Cause you know, then if it's Herter, I guess that Forbes is defending him and you go to Herter the same way that you did in game seven against Seth Curry.
0: They are going to hunt. They are going to hunt. Everyone hunts Bryn Forbes. It's a pastime of the playoffs. With the, Now that he's on a, a playoff team, everyone's going to hunt Bryn Forbes. I also, you know, the Lopez drop defense thing is interesting. Like, do the Bucks ever reach a point where they try to put Giannis on whoever is the main screen setter for Trey, which is typically Capella? And say, if not switch more, then you're more comfortable coming up higher and then recovering to, to, to you know, deflect those lobs. I think that's a little interesting chess. But I think this is going to be a fun, a fun series. Milwaukee should win. But the Hawks are really good and tough and resilient, and Trey Young's a problem. I, I think this could be a fun series, but i will I am picking the bucks to win it,
1: yeah. I think if the Bucks make their threes, there's a level they can get to offensively that I'm not sure the Hawks can get to on a consistent basis and haven't needed to so far in the playoffs because they've faced two average to worse offenses in philadelphia and new york and you know they've, they've still had a better offensive rating marginally in the playoffs thus far to milwaukee but again i think that's more because of shot making although both of these teams have actually shot under expectations so, so far in the postseason
0: any takeaways from game one of uh clipper's Suns in the western conference finals it feels like one of those it was a good game it was a fun game devin booker was absolutely outrageous um you know, the series is going to change the moment Chris Paul comes back. So it's like we're going to see an entirely different series eventually. But what what struck out at you uh, from the first game there?
1: Right. I think that's the concern if you're the Clippers is they've obviously gone through this feeling out process. Speaking of rotations, enlarging in game one of a series as compared to the end of the previous series where – you know, Ty Lue has sorted, sorted through the options, determined which ones are going to be best in this series. And maybe by game three, although it probably even took longer than that against the Clippers, he settles on who he's going to use. And unfortunately, we know Terrence Mann is going to be part of that group this time around. But if he figures that out in game three, but Chris Paul comes back in game three, is it already going to be too late if they're down 2 nothing in the series?
0: Well, and just the loss of, well, not loss of, but the Marcus Morris- banging his knee or whatever whatever his knee issue that took him out of the starting five at at halftime. You know, you're just getting down without Kawhi and Morris now. You've lost size, heft, shooting, and just two critical ingredients in those small ball lineups. You've got seven sort of guard wing guys left. That's a lot of guys, but it's just more Kennard who got roasted in his eight minutes in game one. It's more Beverly, who they're going to leave wide open and say, "We don't think the threes you hit in Game Six against Utah, which were delightful, are real," and we're just going to let you shoot. Uh, it's more Rondo, who's been really hit or miss. I did not understand why Rondo was on Devin Booker so much in the second half of that game. It does not work out very well for the Clippers. I didn't get it. Um, it's just less. It's just less margin for error. And I actually thought the Clippers, I th- the numbers do not show it. Like this was an offensive explosion from both teams. I thought the Clippers were pretty well prepared for Phoenix's bread and butter pick and roll stuff. Like even when Zubats and Cousins were in the game, and obviously Phoenix is going to go right at those guys in pick and roll defense. Their defense, so-so, I'm more talking about the guys off the ball. I thought were really well prepared for all the trickery that Phoenix does to get shooters open away from the ball. Flare screens, little cuts. little. But I thought the Clippers were pretty dialed in on that stuff. Phoenix is just really, really good.
1: Here's a question we were debating yesterday during the game in our group chat. What do you think of those shots that Devin Booker hit repeatedly at the you know end of the third quarter, uh, pull ups off the pick and roll? Do you think those are shots the Clippers can live with, or that they need to find a solution to take away?
0: I think I think it's just one of those fine fine point things where you can be a little better than they were, like like um, Aiton setting picks at half court was was a problem for them. And I think they could respond to that a little bit better. Like if he's, if Booker's able to get a runway where he gets his rhythm and his pace and his footwork in a place where he feels comfortable, those are good shots. And if you're ahead, those are, those are even better shots. Like two points, when you're ahead, two points, two points, two points, you're just making it harder for the other team. It doesn't have to all be threes. I think those are shots that I mean, this is the same thing we went with with Denver, right like it's like who who died right. by the who died by the chris Paul mid Ranger like I think you have to live with them, but only if you can make them hard consistently and it's the same thing with trey Young's floater like i think I think these coaches are are coaching it correctly. I think you have to make him beat you with floaters, but he's going to do that in unless you're on his back. And if you're on his back, you risk fouling him. It's a, it's a because if you don't, if you, the real answer is you have to mix it up. You have to do lots of different things in every game, right? But the moment they started trapping, the Suns beat the traps for the most part yesterday.
1: This is to me, one of the frustrating parts of playoff basketball, which is, you know, there's going to be hard choices for coaches. And when a coach chooses one of those paths, the assumption on Twitter is, you know, they get roasted. And the assumption on Twitter is whatever else you didn't choose. Well, that obviously would have worked. And that's, uh, uh, you can't possibly falsify that because we don't have to see the actual outcome of that. Whether it's, you know, I don't know. Again, trapping more or or switching everything on those pick and rolls. I'm not sure exactly what that that solution would be. But you know, sometimes you have to kind of make a bad choice and, and live with the results of it.
0: I w- I thought. I mean, maybe this was just the Morris injury um, screwing up their rotations. I thought they would play small more. I I was surprised how quickly they pivoted to let's just play traditional centers for the, almost the entirety of the second half, even given the Marcus Morris injury. Um, but Aiton is Ayton's a a better offensive player than Rudy Gobert. He's he's nimbler, he has better hands, he's going to be able to punt you, you're not gonna be able to put Patrick Beverly and Reggie Jackson on him and have nothing bad happen to you against DeAndre Ayton. I was still surprised they didn't play small more. Um, but you know, but the trapping, look, they trapped Booker. And I think Aiton had three or four chances to make the right play in open space. And I like the theory of that's not a position he's in all that often, although he's a decent passer. Make him make a play, particularly if he's catching it 20 feet from the rim. 12 feet, 15 feet, that's a comfort zone. That's one dribble and up. Two or three dribbles, you saw him look around a couple of times like, oh, I I got to do something. But I think three out of four times he made the right play. One of them was a wing three. One of them was a wonderful extra pass by Payne to Bridges for a corner three. One of them was a Bridges pass fake. I love a good old pass fake. Give me a good pass fake. And then he dunked. And the other one, Ayton kind of got caught in his own head because Cam Johnson was cutting through the paint. And so the passing lanes weren't there for him. But when the passing lanes were there and the floor was spaced, he was fine.
1: Yeah, it's a situation we haven't necessarily seen much of him in, partially because of the fact that the Suns haven't advanced this far, that you've been you know, trying these sorts of strategies against their guards. And, and that's one of those areas where I think playoff experience does sometimes show up. But one of the interesting commonalities of yesterday's games, two inexperienced teams continue just playing extremely well in this year's postseason.
0: Well, and I've seen people, I've seen some people tweeting things about how all right. Well, the Suns. You know, we're we're down two one. Then Anthony Davis got hurt. they faced the Nuggets without Murray and all these guys, and now they're facing um, now they're facing the Clippers without Kawhi. Well, like Chris Paul also got hurt in the Lakers series and kind of gutted through it and is now out. And I just like the Suns are just solid, man. Like you 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 can try and you can try and and. And take some credit away from what they've done, but they're just blitzing these teams, and they're they're just rock solid on both ends of the floor. And and they've had their own injury issues to deal with too. Their are their best player, the guy who got some MVP votes, did not play in game one. Let me repeat, they didn't. Just, they missed a guy who people were talking up as like, should he be the MVP or at least be on the ballot? This and he didn't play, and they were like, oh, that's cool, we'll just win. I mean, it got a little dicey there at the end, but you know, let's
1: we'll go win. It's fine. Got some first place votes. Yeah. And I think the other aspect of it is look, Portland got to face that same undermanned Denver team. You know, Porter jr's back injury didn't flare up, but Barton didn't play in that series. And the Denver guards weren't exposed in the same way that they were against Phoenix because of the fact that the Suns are just presenting a greater overall level of challenge as a team. And we may see that to be the case with the Clippers without Kawhi as compared to a Utah team that was banged up itself, had Conley out much of the series, but was the number one seed in the Western Conference. So you know, at some point, I think the the fact that the Suns are causing these problems for other teams that are shorthanded is still evidence of you know the level that they've reached and you know I think you can make a legitimate case given they're up one nothing in the series the uncertainty on the other side that the the Suns are the favorite to win the title right now
0: I I, I yes I just I, I don't I mean <laughs> I'm if you had told anyone a year ago that the Phoenix Suns were going to win the championship and I'm not saying that's going to happen we have a long way to go in this series and I think the Bucks. Qualitatively, would have an argument as no. Wait a second. We should be the favorites now, having gutted out that series. Everyone talked about Nets, including me, as Nets Bucks the real NBA finals. Well, all of a sudden, we're not. We're chopped liver compared to Devin Booker and Cam Johnson and the Suns. But the Suns, they just don't. There's never they. They don't make mistakes defensively, in particular. They don't make mistakes, and they just don't have weak links. Like there's not like Cam Johnson's a below average defender, but you're not like teams aren't redirecting their entire offense to kill cam johnson campaign is probably the closest thing they have like booker is is booker stout and fights and battles he's fine i don't think he's good defensively but he's fine He's say maybe he's good i don't know
1: pick, he's a better like, one-on-one defender than yeah. he is a team defender which is probably actually become a you becomes a more useful thing the farther you get in the playoffs
0: campaign's the one that you would pick on but we just don't see teams doing that very often. And and the the best vehicle to do that is missing in this series. That's Kawhi. And then, but Phoenix's help in zoning up and rotations behind that action when you do it is just, they just don't make mistakes. They make it really hard for you.
1: Yeah, I think you said it at the start. They're They're extremely solid. And in a year like this, the combination of solid plus potentially healthy when Chris Paul gets back in the lineup, that makes you a pretty tough out.
0: I think the Suns are going to the finals. <laughs> like, it's it's an unbelievable story. All right, KP, we got a long way to go in the conference finals. Thanks for hopping on and help us talk uh, Hawks, Bucks, Clips, Suns. You can read Kevin's stuff on ESPN almost every day. Seemingly, Mister Pelton. Stay safe out there.
1: You too. Thanks, Zach.